Well, hello, and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. I noticed over the last week that the photographer Nick Turpin, who has uh, contributed to this podcast in the past, explaining what photography means to him right back in the very early days of the podcast. So if you want to check that one out, you're going to have to go back into the archive. Anyway, uh, Nick has announced in the last week that... um, On the 20th anniversary of its founding, the In Public project returns. Um, That's his project. It's a street photography project that some of you may be aware of. You may also be aware that, um, I can't remember how long ago now, maybe a year, year and a half ago, um, it seemed to all end and Nick walked away from it with uh, some kind of issues going on there uh, around um, the manipulation of images and uh, the... A definition, I suppose, of what street photography is. Well, anyway, it seems that uh, over the lockdown, Nick's uh, refound his mojo within public and uh, is back at the helm. And he's come back at it with a new remit to promote uh, candid photography from the public realm, of which street photography remains a central part. At least that's how Nick sees it. Now, I have a kind of a strange relationship, I I should say, with uh, street photography in the same way as I do with studio photography. Let me explain. So when it comes to studio photography, I always find it a very strange kind of a concept. The idea of what is a studio, to me, it's just a room that you put some cameras in. But maybe we've kind of got tied up with this idea, which is quite narrow focused, that studio photography is all about lighting and a backdrop. Well, then surely any room that has lighting and a backdrop in it becomes a studio. And I know of a number of commissioned photographers who work in a way, particularly when photographing celebrities, where they get very little time and it may well be that they're asked to do the picture in a generic hotel suite or in a hotel space and therefore what they decide to do is create a studio a a location studio um to give the impression that that celebrity is not in another boring hotel room and to take control over the lighting and the setup so for me that idea of studio photography has always been a little bit nebulous and i feel the same way i think with uh, street photography what is street photography where is street photography actually taking place what is the street what defines the street so all of these things to me seem as uh, i suppose generic as any other description of photography of where it is whether it's location photography or is location photography in a studio is that a location or does it have to be clearly defined so all of these things i think i uh, kind of play on my mind and I and I like questioning them anyway let's get back to in public because I think some of the stuff that Nick said around this relaunch are quite interesting and perhaps tie in with what I've been thinking for some time so what Nick says is that in public was set up in 2000 to provide a home for street photographers that's that term our aim is to promote street photography and to continue to explore its possibilities. All the photographers featured have been invited to the group because they have the ability to see the unusual in the everyday and to capture that moment. 
So he says that he's relaunched it in 2020 with a renewed commitment to present the best photography from the public realm that faithfully records everyday life without staging or manipulation. He then goes on to say, street photography to some extent has become a series of well-used templates that many uh, of us will recognise. Often beautifully done, but unoriginal and wholly failing to innovate or show us the public realm with new eyes or an individually hard-won vision. The great street photographers of the past are not the ones who followed, they were the ones that led. If in public has a motivation now 20 years after its original founding, then it's to ask of ourselves and of you, what is street photography? And what could street photography be? I mean, these are really interesting questions and they really tie in to what I was saying there at the beginning about these kind of very narrow focused definitions of areas of work that they have to conform. And I think what they're doing is conforming to those templates that Nick's talking about. Uh, he goes on to say, it's by looking outside of our own world that we will be inspired and that we may find some of the raw materials for making something new. I like the idea of a kind of postmodern street photography, and I'm using the phrase making pictures in the present that are informed by the best of the past with the eye, with an eye, on the future. Nick says that uh, that's his new guiding phrase, and it's certainly one very uh, relevant and I suppose very recognisable to anybody who listens to this podcast. I'm a great fan of documentary films and particularly archival documentary films. And certainly over the lockdown, I've been watching quite a few of them. And I suppose one of the things we were just talking there about um, these kind of defined templates that kind of end up preventing our creativity when it comes to street photography or portrait photography and documentary filmmaking is no different. It's also a very natural step, I think, for photographers to move into documentary filmmaking. After all, the idea of the contact sheet or the series of images really is that series of stills without the joining bits in between. And that's what a, doc a documentary film is. Unfortunately, I feel many of them fall into the trap of a series of talking heads and some repeated still images to illustrate a point that's being made. Many of the uh, talking heads are created and photographed in a very repetitious way. And that produces, however good the story is, a very, I think, unfulfilling visual and storytelling narrative experience. I did see something recently, though, that I thought was very interesting. That was called The Amazing Jonathan. It's a documentary about a magician that here in the UK I wasn't aware of, but in America I'm sure you're very aware of. Uh, the Amazing Jonathan, this guy who is a magician, a comedian, I suppose one of those people back in the 90s who were dealing a lot with the grotesque elements of uh, magic and really playing around with the form. What was really interesting for me about this film was how the film was about the amazing Jonathan, but it was also perhaps more about the person actually making the documentary, his life, his kind of angst about making the project, why he was making the project and all the problems he comes across during the process of making the film. 
So whilst we're watching the film, we're sort of in the mind of the filmmaker and we're, we're suffering with him, but we're also trying to understand his intentions as he's trying to understand them for himself. I had found it a really interesting uh, process to, to, to look into, especially having been involved in making a documentary film myself. I recognise some of the elements. So if you're interested in that, and even if you're not interested in it from a doc documentary filmmaking perspective, I think it's also directly relevant to anybody working on a personal project to do with photography. It's called The Amazing Jonathan. Uh, I saw it on the new Sky documentary channel, but I'm sure you can get it on DVD or perhaps find somewhere to stream it from. This week, we welcome to the strand uh, of the podcast where we ask photographers to explain what photography means to them in less than five minutes. We welcome Nicholas J.R. White. Nicholas studied for a BA uh, Honours in Photography at Plymouth College of Art and is now based in the Dartmoor National Park in the southwest of England. His work examines the land and the ways in which we interact with our natural spaces. In addition to his personal work, Nicholas also takes on uh, commissioned and editorial assignments for clients including Time, Bloomberg Business Week, Financial Times Weekend and The Telegraph magazine. He's won a number of awards, including the Magenta Foundation Flash Forward 2019, Landscape Photographer of the Year 2018, British Journal of Photography Portrait of Britain winner 2018, and Royal Photographic Society Environmental Bursary Under 13s winner in 2017. His work has been widely exhibited and his book Black Dots, which is a beautiful book which I really recommend checking out, was published by another, another place press, I should say, in 2018. Okay, thanks Grant for inviting me to be a part of this podcast. Um, it's been really refreshing to hear other photographers struggle <laughs> with answering the same question in a rather selfish way, it's nice to detect the same sense of panic and fear <laughs> that I felt uh, when trying to answer this, to answer this question. Uh, oftentimes, you know, I feel we can get so whipped up in talking about our own work in such complex and romantic ways that when we're presented with what is essentially a very straightforward and direct question, we, we crumble under the pressure. <laughs> um, anyway, what does photography mean to me? Um, in a nutshell, photography is the single most important thing in my life, and I, I feel incredibly fortunate to have been able to forge a career from it. You know, I, I work on my photography full time. Um, I I wear two hats, and, and my commercial advertising practice keeps the fire stoked. It pays the bills and ultimately funds my personal work. Um, I I pride myself on taking my work very seriously but I don't take myself seriously. Not many people have the, the luxury of doing the things they love on their own terms every single day of the year. So I remind myself to have fun with it, enjoy the ride and, you know, not moan about it too much. Um, you know, preparing for this podcast, I've been, you know, trying to understand why I've devoted my life to taking pictures of things. And really you've got to go back to my childhood. Uh, I grew up on a, fairly rough estate by a busy main road um and my parents never had a lot of money 
we didn't have a TV for my younger years, so I didn't really have a constant stream of visual info to absorb. I didn't grow up on movies and documentaries. Um, instead, my brother and I would go outside, we'd climb trees, and we'd, we'd build dens on the heath that surrounded the estate. Um, the real treat was our annual family holidays to Dartmoor, where, where my grandparents lived. It was a you know fairly low-budget affair. We'd spend the school holidays trudging through the mud and forcing ourselves to have picnics in whatever weather we found ourselves in. And when I'd return to school for show and tell, all my friends would be showing like, souvenirs from Disneyland, and I was showing you know 35 mil prints of me eating a flapjack in the rain. But the camera became a natural companion for these walks outside. If it documented what was a very happy and adventurous childhood and almost became an extra member of the family in many ways. As I later discovered, um, my, my family have a long history of hiking in the Great British landscape and, and documenting the places they explored. My, my great aunts and my, my grandparents both spent many years exploring the highlands of Scotland by bus, car and ferry. And, and I've recently been scanning and restoring their archive to help me better understand my own work and, and why I do the things that I do. Um, as, as I grew older, uh, this, you know, I guess this connection between photography and the outdoors became stronger and, and inseparable and more important to me as I became more independent, um, I'd start you know, taking myself off on the moors or up to the Lake District on my own. And I'd find that the walking would almost become secondary to the photography. You know, taking pictures became the reason to leave the house or to go outside. Um, bringing it up to like the modern day, um, I enjoy spending long periods of my time alone. Um, I live yeah, a very quiet life, and I like to think that that comes across in my work. I um, I find something really special happens when I'm alone in a, you know, sometimes peaceful, often intimidating landscape. Taking photographs in these places, it's therapeutic and you know brings back memories of my family. But crucially, no matter how important the project is to me or how strong my desire to make photographs I'm seriously pleased with, I don't think I've ever lost or will ever lose that quite childlike, excitable mentality of exploring outdoors, stomping around the landscape and embracing the, the unpredictable, the serendipitous nature of, you know, of, of adventure. And, and that is what photography is to me. It's, it's an adventure. Thank you, Nicholas, for your contribution this week. Completely tying in with that idea, I was talking about the amazing Jonathan film there, that importance of the personal, not only in the instigation of a body of work or a project, but also in that continuation and, and that emotive kind of connection that photographers who work on these projects have with their work. Also interesting, I mean, any... Body who listens to this podcast regularly will know that I am not a big fan of the word commercial. For me, it's commissioned and not commercial. However, 
perfectly uh, comfortable there, Nicholas, with talking about two areas of his work, one that means an awful lot to him from a personal perspective, and the other one that also means an awful lot to him from a personal perspective, in that it allows him to live and to pay his bills. So always important, I think, to understand that both areas can be have equal importance within a photographic practice. One isn't more important than the other, because to be honest, without the payment, that other personal work becomes very difficult. But anyway, so not only that, but also that connection of the childhood, that idea of where it came from. And when I'm talking to young photographers and I'm teaching photographers, or I'm talking to photographers who are finding themselves a little bit lost with their work, I always talk about that idea of connecting with something which is intrinsic to who you are outside of photography. I always say, what are you interested in? But I don't want you to talk about photography. Talk to me about the things that are really important to you that go way back. And as Nicholas was saying there, really interesting, I think, to make that connection between the work he's creating now and those childhood experiences. And anybody listening to this podcast living in the UK, I'm sure will be able to... uh, bring forth their own memories of those rain-sodden summer holidays. I know we didn't all go to Disneyland, and in fact, I've still not been to Disneyland, but I've certainly been to Dartmoor on a rainy day and eaten a flapjack in a car. But anyway, that's more more about me than you probably need to know. So some really good stuff there from Nicholas, and um, really... uh, Uh, I think cuts to the quick, goes right to the centre of what we do and why we do it, just as I was describing with the filmmaker of the amazing uh, Jonathan. And also, I suppose, at the beginning of this podcast, talking about Nick Turpin, his own personal search and his own questioning with the In Public um, project. You may have heard this week that my chair started creaking for some reason. Seems like it's time for a new chair, but it's also time to finish this podcast. So uh, I'm just going to end this week with the usual suggestion. Take care. (laughs) 